We welcome everybody to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan, and joining me is Brad Hallier. And Brad, it's a crossover season is is well underway. We've got most of the college football into the books, but I thought uh, we'd start with the Kansas City Chiefs tonight. They got to play in the Sunday night slot once again, division game against the Broncos, and. Again, this Chiefs team, I have a hard time finding out where to start with them. I mean, I think we're all very pleased with the 22-9 win. They're 8-4. and four. They're a game clear of the, the Chargers, two game clear of everybody else. Um, but it's kind of a head-scratcher as this was a game won by their defense, and I don't think there's really any debate about that as the defense actually has a pick six, which – pretty much sealed the game and also uh, special teams forcing a, a short field turnover, which ended up in a field goal, but the offense continues to struggle an awful lot, drastically outgained by uh, Denver. So what was your first thoughts when, when this game was in the books and they had won 22 to nine? Well, I had a lot of thoughts, actually. I guess my first thought was that the Chiefs' offense, their, their body language has got – it sucks right now. There's no other way to say it. They're visibly frustrated. Um, I, I don't know really what else to say. You, you can tell Mahomes is frustrated. You can tell that Kelsey is really frustrated. You can tell Tyreek is just kind of in disbelief at times that he can't, that he's dropping some of these passes. Like, I don't think Tyreek's body language is, is as bad as Kelsey's or even Mahomes's. But, you know, Kel, the, uh, Hill just has been just – Again, he just kind of has this look of disbelief on his face at times. Like, how did I, how, you know, what's going on? Why am I not catching the passes right now? Um, you know, Pringle, I mean, all, I, I, just collectively, I think the body language of this offense right now is one of frustration. I think they keep thinking it's just going to, they're going to snap out of it, and they're not. I mean, it, it's, it's just perplexing right now that uh, the, the, the offense with this much talent isn't producing more um you know they're winning that's that's the important thing but you know as well as i do scott that assuming the chiefs don't get the one seed which they could they're only a half game behind the, the patriots for the number one seed but if the chiefs don't get the number one seed in order to make the super bowl they're gonna have to play they are have to win three games and of those three games that they would conceivably have to win one of those is probably gonna have to be a shootout you know a 31 28 a 35 31 a 38 35 kind of game and I'm not sure the Chiefs are capable of winning that kind of game right now. I, I, I'm i pretty sure they're not. I mean, Mahomes was 15-29, 184, an interception, had a rushing touchdown. Clearly should have been 19 or even 20 out of 29. I know Pringle dropped at least two passes. Hill dropped uh, one or two. One was the one. Now, it would have been a good catch, but the interception was thrown a little high. But that was that hit his hands. Um, he he certainly isn't getting any help um, offensively. And, and I don't, I never thought I would ever say this, Brad, but right now Mahomes is not playing like an elite quarterback in the league. Um, the announcers made some good points about him. There's times where um, he's dropping down sidearm when he doesn't really need to. I know there's times he does that to get the ball around a defender and to a receiver, but um, there was a pass. Uh, I think it might have been one that was intercepted. He dropped down when he didn't need to. It's. It seems like he's not making the easy throws easy, and he's not getting a chance. It doesn't seem like to get those shots down the field. And even when Denver, as the announcers pointed out, went to just a one deep safety, they still weren't able to get it downfield. And that's what they've been waiting on for these teams to get out of this two deep safety, two deep safety all the time that they're seeing. And um, you know, something's up when, and not to say he's not a good receiver, but Daryl Williams is their leading receiver in the game against Denver. And when Daryl Williams in that offense is your leading receiver, you know, something has gone amiss. Well, he's actually their best receiver, I think right now, or the most reliable receiver anyway. Um, And I don't think it's even close right now. I mean, if, uh, I don't know. It's it's just weird, and and I and you know I hate to talk like this because you know again the Chiefs are in first place and they're half game out of the top seed and they're on a five game winning streak and it's first world problems. But again, the 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 bar has been set by this team a couple of, uh, you know for a few years now. You know, making the playoffs and winning the division is no longer what the bar is. This this franchise now is being judged by Super Bowls. 
And when last year they make the Super Bowl and lose, and it's considered just a, a colossal, I don't want to say a failure, but just, you know, hey, that was unacceptable. We, we need to go back to the drawing board here. That's kind of what the franchise did. They, they looked at how bad Mahomes got beat up in the Super Bowl, and they kind of went from there. But it's the, 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 the standard, they're, they're not meeting their own lofty standards right now, and that's, that's their own doing. They set that standard. And, you know, I, again, I don't, I don't know if, they're, if the offense is going to meet that. Uh, they, they've played a tough schedule this year. You know, Denver's got a very good defense. Um, they're horrible. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater is terrible, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the Chiefs are – it could be all to play for here in two weeks when they have the short turnaround and play the Chargers out in L.A. I mean, that, that, that could very well be the season right there for the Chiefs from a perspective of division title or maybe just a wild card. Yeah, because if the Chargers end up sweeping them, and I hate seeing that game a short week with the Chiefs traveling. Um, if you get a short week, of course, always you want to have that game at home. So that one does worry me. The Raiders come into town. The last time they played the Raiders is when the Chiefs offense looked a lot like the Chiefs offense of old. So maybe if you get a game, you know, the Raiders not good defensively. Maybe if you can get a game where you can get some passing game going, get some rhythm. Maybe that'll be a different story because if you look at this game against the Broncos, I mean, the defense scores and then, you know, you have that muffed punt and they kick a field goal. You take those 10 points off the board with the missed extra point, that's a 12 to 9 game against Denver. <laughs> and you get out, gain 404 to 267 by an offense that's really not that good. Um, I mean, the end result is the defense only gave up nine points. But that 12-minute drive was also 12 minutes that the offense didn't have a chance to score because they were standing there on the sideline. Um, is the offense playing like this good enough to win a championship? You'd have to say no. I don't think this offense has to be like the years previous at that level. If the defense continues to play like this to win, if they can run the ball if they can take those check down routes, just move the chains, occasionally get the, the chunk down the field. I think they would be just fine and and have a chance because that kind of football can win on the road in January and, and move on. But the offense, I, I, they've got to play better than they are now or um, they will not go far in the playoffs. No, I would agree with that. Uh, I think right now it's the kind of team that, they're looking like a three to four seed and, you know, if they win the division, but, but at the same time, uh, it's, it's a team that no one's going to be happy to play in the playoffs because you're always afraid that they're going to snap out of it. Now I said that Scott, I want to ask you a question if you don't mind here. Sure. Denver's coaching is stupid. <laughs> can, can, can we just be honest for a second? Is that a question? Coach, okay. I, I do have a question here though. Okay. okay. So the chiefs are up 10 to three. And as you, you already brought up the long drive, I think it was a 20-play drive late in the second quarter. Okay, what is the only thing worse than going on a 20-play drive and having to settle for a short field goal? Not getting any points at all. Not getting any points at all. I mean, you just have to – it's 10-3. to 3. I know you don't want a field goal there. But the whole the, – the explanation that the, the coach gave at halftime, well, the field goals aren't going to be the Chiefs. Wrong. That's where you're wrong. This is not the Chiefs of old. And I know that maybe they're expecting the Chiefs are going to snap out of it. And, that, and that's a fair thing to think. But at the time, it's 10-3. to 3. The Chiefs are in another one of their offensive funks. For the life of me, I could not figure out why the Broncos didn't kick a short field goal there. I mean, that was just so insanely stupid that I could not believe it. The Chiefs stopped him. And, boy, you know, on one hand, uh, you know, we talk about how bad Teddy Bridgewater is, and, and, and he is a very – he's a below-average NFL quarterback. The, 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 that decision was as dumb of a decision as, as I've seen in the NFL. It made absolutely no sense to me right there. And I laughed the entire time as we stopped him well short of the first down. Yeah, they, they, the play they ran on that fourth down, I know they were having success on that drive of running the football, but that was a, a little bit too predictable there. Yeah, I, And again, like I said, you kick the field goal. Now I know the touchdown they got wasn't quite in garbage time, but the Chiefs were playing 10 yards off the ball, trying to make Denver use clock because they needed at that time at least, uh, I think, three scores to catch up. Um, 
but again, you, you kick that field goal and, and you, you take the defensive score, the special teams mishap, then it's, all of a sudden it's a tie game or 13, 12 Denver. Um, so yeah, I, I think he was coaching like you probably needed to coach um, a year, especially two years ago against the chiefs. It's like, oh, field goal is definitely going to get it done that year. Then I would agree more with it, but the way uh, the chiefs offense has been this year, I, you, you got to take the point. 12 minute, 12 plus minute drive, 20 plays and no points. Uh, just, no. Just deflating <laughs> if you're Denver. And if you're, and, it gets you fired too, isn't it? Well, yeah. And, and if you're a Chiefs fan, I mean, or, or on the defense, you're like, they had that ball that whole time and didn't even score a point on us. So, I mean, it's definitely inflating if you're the Chiefs. I thought Kyle Shanahan was coaching for the Broncos there for a little bit. <laughs> I love seeing Kyle on the other side, other sideline. But so we'll see. The Chiefs again. It, it's right there for the taking. Home against the Raiders this Sunday, and then uh, a week from Thursday, monster game at the Chargers. Right there, they win those two, and I'm not going to say the division is wrapped up, but boy, it's it's awful close. So. Hopefully the offense will will catch up with the defense, and I never thought I'd be saying that about <laughs> Kansas City Chiefs. Well, the uh, as we're recording, the number eight ranked Kansas Jayhawks moved to seven and one on the season. They just got done with a I uh, didn't see the score twenty plus point um, blowout at home over uh, UTEP. It's going to be an interesting schedule. Okay, you came into that off of a pretty impressive. 95-75 win at St. John's. And this this Saturday, Ray, renew the old border war with Missouri. And then a week from tonight, another former Big 12 foe, they'll visit Colorado. So I, I kind of like the schedule upcoming, especially Missouri and then at Colorado. What do you think of how the 7-1 and one, number 8 Jayhawks are playing right now? Well, Chai Baji is uh, a first-team All-American right now and maybe even playing like a late first-round draft pick. I mean, he's just been so good. And then Christian Brown has been uh, very close to Agbaji in terms of production, value. I mean, his uh, his going into tonight, his two-point shooting percentage on the season was like 70%. Yudoka Azubuki was like 73% two years ago. So put that in perspective. A big seven-foot guy versus uh, like a six-foot-six wing player. And uh, Brown, I don't have his shooting stats here in front of me, but uh, he uh, he finished with 20 points against UTEP. And a lot of that was on drives. Nine for 13. Here we go. Nine for 13 from the field. He's one for three from three-point range. That means he was eight for 10 from two-point range. So he he improved on that uh, two-point shooting percentage. And I do like the fact that they're playing Missouri again. You know, there's there's a few years there where I was like, you know, to, to heck with Missouri. You know, they can enjoy life in the SEC. And uh, they are going to be playing football again here in a few years. Um, boy, I tell you, Missouri is just a mess right now, Scott. Uh, they're one of the worst Power 5 teams in the country. As a matter of fact, there was one metric that actually had them as the worst Power 5 team in the country. They struggled tonight for a while against a really bad Eastern Illinois team. Uh, it, it's one of those games where I'm not sure Missouri coach Quanzo Martin, he might understand a little bit about the history and the rivalry and all that. And I'm sure that the, you know, the Missouri players will try to be told all about it, but I tell you, you know, who does know all about the history and the rivalry is Bill self. He's not going to have anything, but his team fired up and ready to go for that game. I mean, it's going to be fire and brimstone in that locker room. And boy, you know, Bill self is just going to be chomping at the bit for this one. Well, I was, I was trying to find a Kleenex to wipe up my tears about Missouri being in, in shambles and disarray right now. And, you know, not, um, I, I wish nothing good on Missouri uh, it, it, leaving the Big 12 like they did, just shattering, I thought, um, for sure, one of the best, probably a notch below Duke. I'll give it Duke, North Carolina. Probably people consider maybe the number one basketball rivalry in the country. But I tell you, KU and Missouri had to be right there knocking on the door, number two, number three best. And, of course, when they left, that was ruined. And it was pretty good. It was pretty darn good in football as well. They had some great matchups over the years. So I, I am glad uh, to see them play in Missouri again. I hope they beat them by 50-plus and leave the starters in till the final whistle. <laughs> uh, that's just how I feel about Missouri, Nebraska, and then Colorado. Uh, I mean, I hope they run the brakes off of Colorado out in Boulder on Tuesday. Um, 
I don't know. Maybe I should get over it, but I guess maybe someday I will. I have not gotten over, obviously, um, the defectors, uh, the three that were mainstays, Missouri, Colorado, and Nebraska. Um, ask them how life life has been in the Big Ten and the SEC for Nebraska and uh, Missouri especially. They, they have been really non-factors um, in the sports. They were supposed to be powerhouses in Missouri basketball, Nebraska football. I mean, it's just, it, they just haven't been. They just have not been the factor I think that they believe they could be. No, and let's be honest. They, they left for two reasons, money and stability, and that's fine. That's fine. Uh, we, we know what, this, what all these defections and conference hopping is all about. It's all about money, and that's fine. But I once asked a Missouri fan on Facebook if he felt like that athletically they were in a better place. And I said, take the money out of the equation. Do you feel like Missouri can compete for championships better in the SEC than it did in the Big 12? And he tried to sell me yes. <laughs> he, he, I mean, he, he's either stupid or delusional. I mean, there's no way that Missouri is. Well, we went to two big uh, two SEC championship games in football. Yeah, with a with a with a Big Twelve roster, and look what you've been since Gary Pinkle retired. I mean, I no Missouri, Nebraska for sure have been in a worse position. A and M has been okay. Colorado, I think that that's the one that really didn't bother me that much. I think that probably geographically they fit much better in with the Pac-12. Uh, no, no big loss there for me, but yeah, for Missouri and Nebraska, you know, life I'm sure looked great on the other side, and uh, it hasn't been. And again, uh, pardon me why I find my Kleenex around here for, for the way they're doing, but yeah, so KU again, that'll be their upcoming schedule uh, Saturday at home against Missouri, and then next Tuesday at Colorado. Of course, all those games can be heard on 94. Point seven. Well, we stay in the college ranks. Let's talk a little bit about we know all the bowl matchups are out there. And then the college football playoff was, of course, revealed on Sunday. And after the way things went on the weekend, Brad, to me, these were no brainers for maybe the first time since we've been doing this four team playoff. Uh, Alabama will play Cincinnati. Michigan will play Georgia, of course. Alabama defeating Georgia in the um, SEC championship game, Cincinnati and the AAC. Um, I know that score looks closer than it actually was. They were well out in front after trailing early against Houston. And then Michigan, I'm still putting out an APB um, missing persons for Iowa. I don't know where they were in the, the supposed big 10 championship game, but that was absolutely a, a uh, shellac and so i guess just your first impressions you have any problem with the top four no they got it right obviously i do shudder what would have happened if oklahoma state had won though uh, in terms of cincinnati um boy i you know i, I don't know what Kirk curb street's problem is uh but you know kind, kind of taunting oh i thought you guys said that the group of five would never make it but you know what think about how what cincinnati had to do just to get in there they had they, they, they had no room for air you know, they had to go undefeated. And beyond that, they, you know, again, I think if Oklahoma State had won that game, it would have been a very, very interesting wait for Cincinnati. I'm not sure they would have gotten in if Oklahoma State had won that game. Wow. And it, let's say that that last play for Oklahoma State that they actually scored instead of, instead of getting stopped just shy of the goal line. You think we all thought that if Oklahoma State went in, blasted Baylor, Cincinnati eke by Houston, then we wouldn't have been surprised had Oklahoma State got the nod. Do you think if Oklahoma State had won that on a last-second play with as dominant as Cincinnati looked, do you think they still would have put Oklahoma State in? I think there's a chance. I, I'm not, I, you know, I, I agree that if Oklahoma State had gone out and won by 21, okay, they, yeah, then the the argument becomes a little bit different. If they had squeaked it out, I I, I don't know. It's uh, it would. Let's just say it this much: it would have been a very antsy wait for Cincinnati. Oh, they would have. That would have been um, oh torture for Cincinnati waiting on that the top four to be the real because they knew they were going to be number four. Um, I, I did not see the reveal show to see if they went number one, number two, number three, number four. How how they did it, but that would have been uh, brutal. But since we do know the matchups, let's let's look at them first. What do you think? Let's first start with the. Okay, it's the the group of five is in, and you get perennial 
national title contender Alabama in game one. What chance do you give Cincinnati to pull, um, I think, what people would consider a monster upset? Well, I think it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it was it last year where Cincinnati had a big lead on Georgia and Georgia ended up coming back and winning, I think, on a last second field goal or maybe even overtime. I can't remember. It was either last year or two years ago. I can't remember when it was. Um, I, I do give Cincinnati a chance. I, I give them a good chance here to, to win this game. I mean, there's a lot of you, you know that they're going to approach this, that this is our time. You know, this is this is our opportunity to show everybody that, you know, it, it, it doesn't take a power five team to, to win a national championship that a group of five team, although Cincinnati will be joining the big 12 soon, but you know, the Cincinnati they're, they're kind of playing for the, the rest of the FBS in this. They're, they're kind of showing everybody that good football is not restricted to the sec or to the power five. And uh, I, I, I do give Cincinnati a chance. Now, if you're, if I were putting money on it, would I put money on Cincinnati? No, but I do think that they have a good chance in this one. Now, who do you think the more pressure is on in this game? Do you think it's on Cincinnati for the fact that they need to maybe prove yet again that they belong in this game? Or is there more on Alabama to, to prove that Cincinnati doesn't belong in there, to, to go out and, and, and whip them and not get beat by a non-Power 5 team? That's a great question, Scott. I think uh, it, it's, pro- it's probably equal. I'd say that both the both teams will probably feel the pressure, and of course Alabama. This is kind of why you go there, and uh, so yeah, I, I think that the the pressure is twofold, and you know I I definitely think that uh, Cincinnati is a team that will. I think they'll rise to the occasion, Scott. As something just tells you that you know Cincinnati, you know playing for the Central Floridas of the world and the Boise States of the world, all those years that those those teams had great teams, also that they're going to rise to the occasion. And uh, kind of proved to everybody that that you know that great football is not restricted to the SEC. Michigan and Georgia, very interesting matchup. Of course, Georgia suffering their first loss. Michigan um, just dismantling Iowa. Uh, boy, it's hard for me to know which way to go on this one. Michigan certainly has looked good. They caught a shorthanded Ohio State team. Not that I was disappointed that Ohio State got beat down by Michigan. Um, Georgia, really good football team, certainly had chances. But uh, Georgia in the past has always seemed to come into that that game, whatever it is, or that's early on their schedule, late in their schedule, and they always seem to fall flat somehow in that game. Do you, do you see that happening against Michigan? Kind of like Iowa, right? I mean, oh, how, how, how often do we see Iowa with all the hype and all that and great start, and then they just kind of stumble when it matters most, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I but but Georgia, boy, they they got their socks knocked off by by Alabama, an Alabama team that at times has looked, I don't want to say ordinary, but not Alabama like. You know, they they should have lost to Auburn. They got, you know, beaten by you know a slightly above average Texas A and M team, and it really hasn't always been the the Alabama of old. But here they are, ranked number one going into the postseason. So. It was just kind of interesting seeing how Georgia just got overwhelmed in that game. I mean, their their vaunted defense was just picked apart. So, I don't know. I I I I I don't think it's going to be an all SEC championship game. Uh, I, I, that's not to say that Georgia can't win or that Alabama can't win. But uh, I, if I, if I was going to say one of those two are going to lose, uh, I would lean toward Georgia. Yeah, I think that's where the smart money would be. But it'll be interesting. And boy, just you know, I can handle any of the three. Just not Alabama, <laughs> right? <laughs> that, that's who. That's who I desperately do not want to see uh, win the whole thing again. So those will be coming up on New Year's Eve. So we got a, a little while again to revisit these matchups if anything happens between now and then. Well, this week it's an unusual schedule on Ad Astra for high school as the uh, we have some early season tournament action. We have some. Uh, kind of round robin formats this week involving teams. Let's let's take a quick look at uh, Bueller. Uh, I think these games. I was getting scores in. I I, I did not see um, tonight. Bueller was at Salina South in doubleheader action. I, I wanted to focus a little bit more. Then they're going to play at Hutch High. I love this. Yep. That yep. Bueller and Hutch have started doing this. So let, what do you think of Bueller and Hutchison this year? Bueller has has gotten some big wins in this matchup. Yeah, Bueller boys have had kind of the upper hand, it seems like, lately. Uh, you know, but let's not forget, you know, Hutch was at State last year. 
Uh, and they took a very good campus team down to the very end without one of their best players uh, playing much of that game. Miles Thompson had foul trouble throughout that game. So, you know, let's not forget that, you know, Hutch was at state last year in, in class six, say, and, and almost made it all the way to the semifinals. Uh, they were given number one Mays uh, quite a battle. Uh, we're, again, we're recording this on Tuesday, and they were right there with Mays in, at halftime last I saw. I don't have an update since then, but they're only down three to Mays. So, but, you know, this, this uh, Bueller had a great start to the season against a overmatched Nickerson team. But, yeah, I, I agree, Scott. I like seeing these, these, these county matchups like this. You know, they've always played in soccer, and it's always been fun covering it through the years. And it's just really great to see it in, in basketball. Heck, I'd love to see it in baseball, you know, have – have like a, a five o'clock game or a four o'clock game like at Hobart Detter Field and then everyone motor up the highway for the the, the second part of the doubleheader at Wheatland Park or something like that. <laughs> a little home and home on the same day, huh? Right, right. Yeah, I, I think they're fun. I mean, um, the girls side of that, uh, Bueller, young, they're going to struggle a little bit. What What is Hutch High on the girls side like this season? Oh man, they 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 beat Mays tonight, forty three thirty two. Okay, uh, great win for Hutch. Uh, they got some good seniors. You know, Harley Wilson is uh, uh, going to to join my daughter uh, playing soccer at Butler next year, but she's a very good uh, uh, basketball player as well. Got a freshman. I don't know if you remember Gabby Posh. Uh, her sister is now uh, Grace Posh. Is a uh, I think led the led them in scoring tonight. So what what a debut for for the freshman Gabby or uh, uh, gosh dang I forgot. Uh, Grace Posh, for her to go out and be the leading scorer in her varsity debut as a freshman against wow. Mays. I mean, that that's that's pretty impressive right there, Scott. So maybe some uh, the Salt Hawks who have been kind of teetering between, you know, the, the 13 and 8 and 8, eight and 13 kind of seasons uh, recently, maybe this is the year they kind of break through. Again, those Bueller games, as always, will be heard on 95.9. Hutch Trinity, uh, they played – uh, Pratt only found a boys score on this. I don't know if that was a boys game only or not. I'm searching earlier today. Uh, Trinity losing uh, 62 to 38. They will then play um, doubleheader at Chaparral on Thursday. And then it's a to be determined opponent uh, coming up on Saturday. So early on the returns, the Trinity boys uh, suffered a couple of, of big losses uh, again, I don't believe that the girls played. The girls lost on Friday night, so it looks like a couple of Trinity teams going to kind of be feeling their way, finding their rhythm early on in the season. Yeah, yeah, they're hit pretty hard by graduation, and uh, it's it, it's it, it's a very successful program. You know, Trinity just has always seemed like that. You know, uh, a down year for them is usually seems like ten and ten or something like that. So they've always been a very consistent program. But, you know, even even consistent programs like that are not immune to having a rebuilding season. And not to say that's what's going to be happening with Trinity, but uh, certainly the early returns seem like it could be could, could be something of a rebuilding season. The Mound Ridge tournament um, involving all area teams going on Tuesday, Thursday and Friday this week. It's Mound Ridge, Inman, Hillsborough, Lions. It's it's double headers. And they are, uh, again, it's going to be round robin. So everybody's going to play everybody. Um, we saw the Hillsborough teams. Boy, they are both very, very good. The girls did lose to Sterling, but I, I think that's going to be a common <laughs> phrase we use of insert opponent losing to Sterling girls this year. Um, so I certainly, out of those competitors, I certainly like the Hillsborough boys to go 3-0 and through this round robin format. Um on the girls' side, there's a couple intriguing matchups. The most intriguing one for me is Moundridge and Hillsborough. We know Moundridge has got Kate Eichelberger, the 6'1 senior. She's just been getting better and better and better. And then they got a whole bunch of junior guards on this team that are gaining experience that I think can give Hillsborough a tussle. And I'm, I'm, I'll have Moundridge Inman doubleheader on um, Friday, but I'm really intrigued to see that Moundridge Hillsboro girls matchup to see how that turns out. Yeah. You know, we obviously Hills Hillsboro is going to be one of the better teams in the area. Uh, you know, we've seen Moundridge through the years always, you know, it's just a basketball community and they've always been very good through the years. And, you know, Lions is kind of a sneaky team to watch out for this year, Scott, I think on the girls side, uh, you know, again, we, we, we talked about this a little bit the other night during our broadcast, but they were three and 13 last year, but in a good CKL, you know, 
good teams can go three and thirteen in that kind of conference. So, and let's not forget about the Inman boys too. I know that they have some injuries and all that, but you know that's that, that, that that's still a very good program, very well coached, one of the best coaches around in Brett Frey. So, it's uh, it, I, I think Inman boys are still going to be pretty good this year, even with their injuries that they've had. Well, I'm intrigued by my boys matchup for sure that night, Inman and Mound Ridge. Um, as you mentioned, Inman, a lot of those good athletes, the Kendon Blank, the Tanner Heckel, all those kids uh, play basketball. Um, they've got a little bit of size, uh, great guard play. They're going to play a Mound Ridge team, Brad. I was, I was getting ready for these a little bit earlier today. Logan Churchill's now up to six foot six <laughs> for Mound Ridge down low. Um, and they've, they've got some experience. At the guard, of course, we, you and I both know Vance Unrau, one of the best coaches around, has done it for a long time. Uh, I did see they beat Lions tonight, so they're off to a 2-0 and start. That, that'll be a very interesting matchup, those athletic guards for Inman against some of the size, especially Logan Churchill uh, for Mound Ridge. I'll be in, very intrigued to see how that plays out. Yeah, let's give Vance Unrau some credit also here, Scott. Their, their December schedule, and the, first of all, they started out with the Illyria Christian, who has been a state tournament regular the last few years. And then, of course, you know, like you already mentioned, the tournament this week, good teams with Lions, Hillsborough, and Inman. But how about next week? Little River and Garden Plain. Oh. <laughs> no, no one's going to be accusing Vance Unrau, who, uh, who is his own boss, by the way. I think he's the AD there as well. He is. Uh, <laughs> I think he needs to have a little talk with himself about maybe uh, easing up a little bit on the, the pre-Christmas schedule. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, then – I, they have a new um, girls coach this year um, for Mound Ridge. They also they play in that Haven Wildcat Classic, and yep. that tournament is, oh my gosh, it, it's just absolutely loaded with the Havens, the Nickersons, the Andales, and the, all those schools that come in their garden playing. It seems like it's Notre Dame turned down the chance to play in that tournament. I want to say that six, <laughs> six or seven of the eight teams last year were ranked. I, I mean, think uh, the eight seed. I think the eight seed was five hundred, maybe. I think Rose Hill was something to the effect of uh, six and six or something, or coming into that tournament. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's remarkable, and uh, Mountain Ridge just again, it's a basketball community, Scott. They they love their basketball, they respect their basketball, and they're never gonna they're, they they don't schedule lightly down there. So again, all of those games you can go to adastroradio.com and the sports page to see. Uh, different times of day. Doug Higgins will have the Lions games. Again, Friday, I'll have Moundridge, Inman, Doubleheader, and the 95.9, 100.3. All that at adastroradio.com and the sports page for the time and the matchup. As during tournament week, those can change uh, just a little bit. Well, continuing on, Ad Astra this week. Um, we're recording again on Tuesday. So Warrior Basketball is going to return on Wednesday as the two teams head over to Lindsberg to take on the Bethany Swedes. Well, we finally got through a four-game in eight-day stretch this past week for both the Lady Warriors and the Warriors. We'll start off with the Lady Warriors um, actually suffering their first loss of the season in the midst of that schedule. They started off on Monday at home, blowing out St. Mary 94-63, and then lost in overtime at receiving votes, Kansas Wesleyan, 85-82, and then came back home against a vastly improved, very good Avila team and had a 30-point lead at one time. It got cut to 10, but they held on and won by 10, 94-84. Um, let's start back with the one loss, Brad. I, I know that it's, it sounds strange that sometimes a loss I don't think is all a bad thing, because Sterling in this game, they played a, a really poor first and start of a second quarter. Uh, and then they had Taylor Wilson foul out with about four minutes to go when they had about a seven or eight point lead. And again, ended up, they had their chances. It went to overtime and they lost. But Kansas Wesleyan played extremely well. And they're a good team. Sterling, again, had that not a good first, early second quarter and still only lost by three in overtime. So I think that, in a way, is encouraging, but also shows, too, that um, Sterling's lack of depth. I mean, when Taya Wilson fouled out, um, the complexion of that game changed because Kelsey Hens, 
I got to see her play um, at uh, Remington High School when she was a freshman. She was six foot when she was a freshman, and she was playing some point guard for <laughs> Remington. Sterling is – they're going to be the happiest school in the conference to see her graduate, as she has had – I saw her put up 31 points and 25 rebounds two seasons ago at Sterling. She went 28 and 24 in this win against Sterling. They just have no answer for her size and her strength. And especially when Taya fouled out, there was just no, no shot blocking presence down there. And that, that really hurt. Yeah. You look at the the minutes played Emily Hendrickson, 40, Bailey Albright, 43, Bethany Suckey, 37, Cindy Bangert, 40, Wilson played 24. But as you mentioned, she fouled out and was saddled with foul trouble and, you know, Coach uh, Bassett did have to go deeper into the bench. It looks like seven different players played. Now, a few only played one minute, but still, she had to go deeper into that bench. And, you know, we talked about the the one thing that they probably don't have this year is that depth. And uh, still, they were almost good enough to still beat a very good Kansas Wesleyan team. I also note this is that Kansas Wesleyan made 17 free throws. Sterling, Sterling attempted only 10. So that really is probably your ball game right there. It is. They just, you know – they had no choice, but sometimes just the foul inside against some of those, the bigs for uh, Kansas Wesleyan. And that's something usually Sterling does to their opponent. Coach Bassett uses the old coach Cruz philosophy of a goal going into the game is she wants to make more free throws than her opponent shoots. And she does that on a lot of nights because they are so aggressive. But on this night, when those guards drive in and some of those shots they could get away, these just got slapped right back at them because Kelsey Hens is um, right now the best post player in the conference with the graduation of Abby Schmidt from last season from Bethel. So they'll have to come up and find an answer for her. Now, Kansas Wesleyan did lose two days later um, at Tabor. So right now there's a a log jam at the top of the conference uh, Sterling has had their buy, buys are coming up, but um, the upcoming schedule, Bethany is 10 and three, they're six and one, they're one of those teams with just the one loss, as is Sterling, as is Tabor, Um, Tabor goes to Avila, a really good Avila team that played Sterling without their best player, um, Maddie Morgan, because she's a, a COVID senior and she's a nurse, she was working. And that's going to happen with Avila. But if she plays, you know, you feel like Tabor will do well to come away with a victory from there. Um, Bethany's just now, they have not played any of the top opponents. They have not played Avila. They have not played Tabor. They have not played Kansas Wesleyan. They have not played Sterling. And those four are four of their next five games. So Bethany's hitting their rugged stretch. So if Sterling can find a way, again, Bethany's got some size. They've got some good shooters. Um, if they can find a way to win that game and be in first place, these other teams are hitting their rugged stretches right now. And then the next time around, if you if you think of K-Dub, Bethany, Tabor, Avila as your top four other than Sterling, three of those four come to Sterling. Only have to go to Avila, do the Lady Warriors and Warriors. So I like the way that schedule sets up if they can beat Bethany um, tomorrow night. I like to play Bethany maybe not as the first game in, in this tough stretch, but maybe their third or fourth to kind of wear them out a little bit because, you know, this is the kind of game that, you know, Keith Ferguson's an outstanding coach up there. And this is kind of – I think he's always kind of maybe looked at Sterling as the barometer for his program. You know, if they can get a win over Sterling, then they're definitely in the right direction. I mean, they're in the right direction anyway. But kind of needing that one, you know, big victory. And, uh, you know, the, the fact of the matter is – this is maybe their uh, their opportunity because, this, again, as you mentioned, the schedule is so rugged coming up for them that they're going to need to, you know, the, 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 they're, they're going to be as fresh as they will be against anybody and will hit this stretch of games coming up. So th- this this is an opportunity, I think, for, for Bethany. If they're going to be able to get one of these big uh, – get a big win over someone, this is their opportunity, I think. I agree. It's going to be a really tough game. You got to run the brakes off of Bethany. I know that because they're they're a lower scoring team. Right. You get it going up and down as Sterling. That will always favor them. But uh, I look at Taya Wilson for four straight double doubles, five on the season. She's on a roll right now. And um, Bailey Albright, her last three games, 20, 23, and 23 points. Emily Hendrickson, 20, 25, and 22. I mean, they're really scoring really well right now. So if they can stay out of foul trouble, they're, again, they're at Bethany. 
at Bethel Saturday, and then the December portion of the conference finishes at Friends next Monday. So it's a busy week. Finals are this week, so a huge game um, for the women. The men last week, Brad, it was 72-60 loss at home to St. Mary, and I, I shudder to even talk about the game at Kansas Westland. As Sterling lost 102-44 to at a Kansas Wesleyan team that'll soon be in the rankings and then had their chances for that first conference win at home against Avalon Saturday, lost 64, 59. It just came down to the point. They just could not make enough shots against Avalon. There was times they had it tied or within two numerous times and just couldn't get um, that big shot to go. They're at a Eight and five, four and three Bethany team, and then a seven and four, three and three Bethel team on Saturday. Um, still more questions than answers, especially that that head scratcher at Kansas Wesleyan, where they just got um, decimated in that game and just were non-competitive. Had three total assists in that game, and that that's that's kind of the issue right now for this team. Yeah, I'm looking at the box score from Avila, and you know, kind of. Uh... Remind me a little bit of the games last year. They, you know, they they just they seem to be in a lot of games. They just couldn't quite finish it. But the one stat that stands out to me here, Scott, nineteen assists for Avila, seven for Sterling. I, and if I, if I mispronounce this kid's name, uh, please uh, correct me. Dante Simpson, uh, Avila guard, correct. eight assists. He had more assists than the entire Sterling team, which once again says to me the ball is sticking, Scott. It's not moving well enough. And it's it's not at times. There, there's times they. Um, they move the ball around, they make that extra pass, they get a better shot, and then there's times they kind of get sucked into that. Well, I made a one-on-one basket last possession. The other team's starting to to get on a run. I need to do something. And then they try to do too much themselves, and um, they can't get in that. They're just – coach will tell you, he says, they're not talented enough man-on-man to do that. They have to play that team ball um, – and until that they do that for an entire 40 minutes and get some of those big shots to go in, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough one because they've still got some, some really tough games coming up starting, again, Wednesday at Bethany. And, again, those games will be 545 pregame, 6 o'clock this Wednesday on 95.9. Well, a couple other places we'll go here. I know you were uh, – Excited this past Saturday as the Hutch Blue Dragons in football played in the Salt City Bowl and just beat the pants off of Heinz Community College 66-34 to to win the Salt City Bowl and finish. I believe that was a 9 It was it a 9-2 and two finish. Was that correct? That's right, yep. So uh, Hutch, that first loss of the season, and they had two early losses after that. And I know it's it's something you probably don't want to broach again after last week, but boy, that's a team um, going to be saying what if they were in that top four. Oh man, uh, I mean, de- defensively it was a little struggle early on. Uh, first minute of the second quarter, Scott, tw- it was twenty-eight to twenty-eight. I'm not kidding, twenty-eight to twenty-eight. <laughs> and then uh, Hutch had a thirty-one twenty-eight lead late in the second quarter when they scored on a hail mary, a fifty-six yard hail mary from uh, quarterback Dylan Libel to wide receiver. Malik Benson, a Lansing kid, so an in-state kid, and uh, yeah, they they just dominated the second half from there, and uh, it was it, it was great to see them finish with the win, and, and you know that those top four teams were like, well, thank goodness we don't have to worry about Hutch right now. Uh, it was it, it was it was a great end to the season. I know that they feel like that they were snubbed and deservedly so. Uh, no sense worrying about that now. It's back to work for Coach Drew Dallas. I think Drew Dallas is is quickly making a name for himself as one of the top coaches, not just in the conference. But the NJ in the NJCAA, uh, he's really got it going on. I've heard they got some good recruits coming in. Uh, some of these guys, you know, of course, they could use their COVID year if they want to. But uh, I tell you, the things are definitely bright right now for Blue Dragon football. Where do you think the point of emphasis on who they believe they're going to lose, and where's that point of emphasis in recruiting going to be? Well, it could be a quarterback. Um, Dylan Leibel is is expected to move on. Number two quarterback, Deshaun Cash, is expected to move on. I mean, most of these guys, I think, if especially if they have three years of eligibility, will probably look to move on so they can take three years of eligibility wherever they're going to. They had another quarterback transfer from Colorado somewhere, uh, Colorado State maybe, who I think is looking to move on already. I think he just kind of uh, – 
left wherever he was, like Colorado or something like that. I think he was an early graduate or something like that. And uh, but they do have a, a, a nice uh, a number three quarterback was a kid named Colin Shields from May South, and I know that he definitely has the tools. And you know, based on what I uh, little I know right now, I would guess that he will probably be the starter going into spring drills and reconstructing the lines. I mean, they're so good offensive line and defensive line, so uh, reconstructing those lines will be a point of emphasis. And uh, I I really think that you know, based on what I've seen from Coach Dallas and, and his and his staff, uh, great recruiters, great coach. Uh, it's not going to be a Butler like dynasty that we saw earlier this century with Troy Morrill, but I I, I sense something special brewing with Blue Dragon football here. And what, what do you feel like the state of the Jayhawk conference is, of course, with the, uh, what's it been a little over a month ago now, Fort Scott announcing the dissolution of their football program. And that leaves you with, does that leave you with six, seven, seven teams now? What, what, what do you feel like the, the general feel is as far as maybe even Juco football as a whole, but especially in the Jayhawk conference? You know, I think one loss isn't, isn't the end of the world, uh, you know, still seven teams at six league games. They'll, they'll, they'll continue their alliance with the Iowa schools next year. So that's three more games. So that's already nine games right there. So I think you can schedule as many as 11. So they'll probably schedule, you know, maybe a KCAC JV or something like that, just to give some of their, uh, you know, third, fourth string guys, uh, some looks or something like that. Uh, maybe schedule and, you know, maybe, maybe they'll schedule a snow college, you know, snow's looking for games all the time because of their location. So maybe you see them scheduling a snow or maybe uh, a DuPage, Illinois, or something like that, the division three national champions. So there's, there's options out there. I'll be curious if they go the 10 game or 11 game route, or maybe the Jayhawk conference, you know, say, Hey, schedule 10 games and then we'll have a playoff at the end of the season. You know, top two teams will play for a championship. Uh, there are all kinds of possibilities, but you know, there's really not that many teams left playing ju- in, in JCAA football. Just Mississippi with their 14. There's eight schools in the Southwest Junior College Football Conference, six from Texas, one from Oklahoma, one from New Mexico. Then, of course, you got the seven and the Jayhawk. And just a, some, some assorted independence out there. My, my concern would be is if a second school would drop football. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- then you might see the domino effect. Uh, you know, there, there's always that fear that somebody like a Highland I know independence has been really good lately, and that's great because I think in the, if, if independence starts going slipping back to the two and sevens and the one and eights that they were so notorious for before Jason Brown got there, uh, that's the one I would really, really worry about is independence. And like I said, it, I think if one more drops, you could see the domino effect really start. Well, we hope that um, Fort Scott's going to be it because, uh, boy, it's Jayhawk football has been so good for so long. You know, the Butler – dynasties and then now hutch uh, i would hate to certainly um, see that go away or go away in any any way shape or form so but a good good end to the season for hutch again 66 34 over heinz community college well a bit of a i guess if you want to call it disturbing i think in the end it's all going to end up okay brad but i i, I hate the word lockout mm-hmm. uh, and that's where we are with major league baseball as of i believe it was Oh, you know, whatever they call it, 8.50 or 11.59 or 12.01 or whatever it was, December 1st, um, owners have locked the players out of facilities, meaning there are no organized team activities. There can be no trades or free agency type um, moves. You can communicate with other teams, maybe have something in principle, but nothing can be finalized until the lockout is over and they were talking about this coming I always it I think that maybe drives me the most crazy when they're talking about a potential lockout six months of hit ahead of time of when the deadline is but yet these buffoons can't get together before then and figure something out they have to always push the envelope because they think they can get more if they force a lockout or a strike or whatever it may be. Uh, I just I think it's more aggravating. Most all the analysts think there's they won't miss games. They may miss a little bit of spring training, but they'll actually get this done. Um, but if they're saying that now, why couldn't this have been done to avoid this? I, I, I am always at a loss of why this has to happen. Well, Major League Baseball has never been one to get out of their own way. I mean, they've just consistently stumble over each other and they've, they've succeeded in spite of themselves. It seems like through the years, I mean, 
the the lockout of '94 only crippled the 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 sport for what maybe one year or so. And then he had Cal Ripken doing his thing. Then he had the the steroid home run chase and all that. So you know, it's been a long time of labor peace, but. Major League Baseball just has never really seemed to figure out how to get out of their own way. And, you know, with all the contract disputes and you know, a lot of fans like me have not seen their regional team. I haven't seen a Royals regional broadcast in two years now, Scott. And I've probably seen a grand total of five games on TV. You know, God bless Denny Matthews or I'd really been shut out. So uh, I'm sure they'll figure it out and we'll, we'll end the season. will probably start on time and all that. But uh, it's whenever you're talking about the billionaires against the millionaires, I'm sorry, I don't really care. Just figure it out. Yeah. I think we had an inkling of that last year, you know, when they were trying to get the, the COVID season put together and you had players making millions and millions of dollars, you know, complaining about how much they were going to make or how much money they were going to lose during a a 60 game season. When, when there were so many people, Joe averages unemployed, that was, that was a bad look. So what I would say is if, for some reason, this lockout turns really ugly and you miss part of a season. I would highly warn baseball against it because people are going to reach a break. There are always people reach a breaking point with all these sports. There's some people that have never come back to baseball after the last strike. I know some of them. I don't watch baseball because of that last strike. They, they lost me then. I know NBA has lost some people um, over some of their stuff. So I, I think – as long as this starts on time and you, you know, we see our favorite teams or don't see our favorite teams because of MLB network, we won't get into that tonight. Um, I think they will be okay, but that I would highly caution against it going any further than that. Yeah. I just, uh, I, I just hope that they, they can get it started again because you know, I'm I, I, well, kind of like you, Scott, I'm kind of a baseball guy at my, at heart. You know, I love baseball. I can't get enough of baseball, you know, whether it's college or, or the summer, summer, summer semi-pro deals or whatever. I, I just, um, I, 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 I just love baseball. And even if they go on strike or lockout or whatever, I'm sure I'll come back, especially if the Royals can solve their contract disputes and all that. So I'm kind of a sucker like that, uh, kind of, kind of romanticized baseball like that. So again, that's the MLB lockout. Hopefully that all gets taken care of that's our last um, regular topic so we can move on for your final thoughts this week all right scott well you know we just talked about blue dragon football but i want to talk about another blue dragon team that's the men's basketball team under first year coach tommy DeSalm, who you know pretty well a uh, former coach at sterling in kansas westland and the thing that kind of has struck me about tommy is just i don't know man he just seems to know how to play the game for lack of a better word i mean He's everywhere he's been, his popularity has just been immense. I mean, he wasn't at his previous KCAC stops very long, and he still looked at fondly at those places. You know, Cowley uh, congrats, sent a congratulatory tweet after he won his 400th career game while a Blue Dragon coach. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just remarkable how well-respected Tommy DeSalm is, and they're off to an undefeated start right now. The fewest points they've scored this year, Scott, 76. And uh, before that, it was 86. So they're they're scoring, you know, high percent or high number, 122, 100, 106, 101, 104. So they've definitely been off to a, a great start. Uh, I, I really think Tommy is uh, he's going to do some great things at Hutch. They got a great game coming up on Wednesday against the uh, defending national champion Coffeeville. And uh, I, I just can't say enough good things about Tommy DeSalm. He's just definitely a guy that seems to know how to play the game. And Boy, it's just it's just it's just really cool. I think to, to see after what Steve Eck accomplished, someone come in and essentially say, "I respect what he did, and now I'm going to do my own thing here." So uh, no one respects the history of Hutch more than Tommy does. I know he holds Coach Eck in very high regard. So he's a guy who understands the history of Hutch. He respects the history of Hutch, but he's looking to put his own personal stamp on it now. Yeah, he he was been successful at every stop he's he's been at and. Certainly his style of play is, boy, a lot of fun to watch. I mean, when you get up and down, shoot the three and score that many points, that's always fun basketball to watch. I guess I would ask, too, um, Jaden Garrison from Little River, a freshman there. How's he doing so far? You know, he's, uh, he's been playing in every game. So, uh, and, and they go very deep, Scott. I mean, they, 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 let me see if I can bring up one of their most recent box scores. From their, here's one from their 104-95 win Saturday 
over Butler, a tremendous back and forth game that was. And, you know, Tommy's playing, uh, you know, he's playing 10 guys most games. Um, let's say Jaden didn't get in that game at all, but I know he's been in several games. Angelo Stewart, there's uh, Angelo Stewart has been the guy so far. He had 24 points and that went over Butler. And they've got, I mean, they're, they're bringing two guys off the bench in that game, Cecil Lee and Kobe Campbell, who each had 17 points. I mean, and keep in mind, he didn't have a lot of time to recruit these guys. I mean, my goodness, uh, he may have had them committed to Cali, but now they're at Hutch. And my goodness, uh, just kind of speaks volumes of how well uh, Coach DeSalm's uh, system can work. Oh, well, we'll definitely keep tabs and check in on uh, Blue Dragon uh, men's and women's basketball as the season's really get rolling um, as far as conference play as well. well I'm going to go a little bit different area. It does tie into sports a little bit, but um, Kansas as a, as a whole had a really big loss this last weekend, Brad, as I think everybody knows uh, Bob Dole, the former longtime Senator from Kansas uh, was born, raised in Russell, Kansas, passed away. At 98 years old, I believe it was sometime on Sunday. I never saw the official um, day that he passed away. Of course, he's he's most known for his time as a as a Kansas senator up in Washington, and he did accomplish so much up there. Um, any type of significant farm legislation, of course, he never lost track of where he was from. Um, his name was on those bills to help the farmers, especially in his home state. Um, most people credit him with rescuing Social Security when it was about to disappear in the mid-80s. His legislation that he pioneered actually saved and, and people still can enjoy when they retire the benefits of the Social Security system. Um, this being uh, when we're recording Pearl Harbor, um, the 80th anniversary of that. Of course, um, I think a lot of people know that he suffered a um, a horrid gunshot wound in one of the very final battles of the European theater in World War II in Italy, um, shot through the shoulder. Um, at one time, it was thought that he may never walk again. Um, he was paralyzed for a while. After three years of operations and recovery, he regained um, pretty good use of his right arm. And you always saw him hold a pin in his left arm. He had very little or no use of that left arm. And of course, most recently, even uh, as m early as a year ago, he was kind of the unofficial official greeter for all of the honor flight um, veterans that would go to Washington, whether it be from World War II or Korea or Vietnam or the Gulf Wars. Um, he would greet them. He would visit with them, sign autographs and just take time with them. He's been a champion of, um, advancing people with disabilities, their rights, and enabling them to access more areas of society. So he, he's, he did so much in that, that area of his life and after his political career. Most people forget how good of an athlete. I was really surprised. I, I read up you know, read numerous articles. He was a three-sport letter winner at Russell High School in football, basketball, and track. And he was recruited by Fog Allen to Kansas where he practiced under Fog Allen as a freshman, working his way towards potentially earning a scholarship um, to play basketball at KU before enlisting in the Army. And then, of course, with his injuries, was never able to um, compete again. But um, such a great man. He was a great athlete. And I tell you, you talk about doing the most with what God gifted him with and then remarkably coming back and having the career after that war injury. Um, that is truly a loss um, that Kansas will feel for a long time. Well, not just Kansas, but I think Washington, I mean, uh, Dole was just kind of a last of a, of a probably a dead breed of a, kind of a, uh, um, someone who was more interested in the good of the country and good of man. And, he, he was, you know, I, I, I don't know where this uh, attitude of, re of reaching across the aisle was considered weakness. That's what made Bob Dole so darn popular is he, he was able to do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just, ah, I mean, he's just, uh, I, I just don't know if we're going to see politicians like him again, a gentleman, 
uh, a war hero. He was just someone I think that pretty much was universally respected. I'm sure, you know, he's got his detractors like anybody else, but I think from a general, from a general um, respect perspective, it, it came from both sides of the aisle. And that's these days, very rare. Yeah. I mean, they, they said that was his true unique gift is to be able to work with the other party and have each party give a little to get a little. And he did that time and time and time again to get positive things done. And I tell you that today's representative senators, congressmen could sure use a lesson from um, the way that he was able to do that so successfully for so long. And I, I just wish he would have had at least one opportunity to see what he could have done um, as president. He ran um, most recently as 96, a couple other um, failed attempts at um, getting the party's nomination. I would have loved to have seen that, but yeah, we will certainly um, miss him. He was, again, was 98 of all things lung cancer after everything he had survived. That is <laughs> was his official cause of death. So um, amazing man. And again, um, he was 98 years old. So again, that is our uh, podcast for this week. And again, the Ad Astra schedule, you can always access that by going to adastraradio.com and the sports page to see where all your favorite high school or warriors will be playing during the basketball season. But for this week's View from the Press Box, from Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. Have a great week.